Hiya, friends. Welcome to the Vital Core Salon. I'm Cara, your host and salonniere, as they say in 18th century France, for women hosting these kinds of things. And I am here holding space in the digital universe to offer up some sonic comfort and conversation for women who don't have time for bullshit or burnout and maybe want to learn some new stuff. In the last 15 years, Asia Schmelz has held positions ranging from art director to distillery consultant. These days, she's a worker trustee at the Good Work Institute. Asia is also an agent of change who unites individuals and creates avenues for people to come together and really work together. And I'm so grateful I was able to talk Asia into doing her very first podcast interview with me here in the Vital Core Salon. I love inviting guests like Asia who are operating in spaces I'm curious about or want to learn more about. And today we're going to talk about some emerging models of organization, especially the ones that Good Work Institute are implementing right now. But Asia and I also want to encourage you to go and explore the topic beyond that if you're curious. Also, I want to keep this podcast free for all of you and help keep it growing. So I have two quick requests while you're listening to today's episode. One, please follow Vital Core on your favorite social media network. That includes Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you think of someone that would really be down with today's guest, Asia, or some of the topics that we covered, please share it with one podcast fan you know. By doing both, you help grow the Vital Core Salon and you help me amplify the work and influence of the women who have been guests. Okay, now over to the interview. Voila, meet Asia. Asia, welcome to the Vital Core Salon. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I feel like even just in our pre-recording chatter, we're going to have like 4,000 things to talk about in this podcast. <laughs> we may have to prioritize a little, but... We'll work it out. We'll work it out. <laughs> totally. Just so the audience has an idea of how we came together, I initially came into your orbit as a fellow with the Good Work Institute and quickly realized that you are a incredibly dynamic, no bullshit mother and bona fide agent of change here in the Hudson Valley. (laughs) So there's probably like 18 different paths that we can go down to start talking, but should we start with how you performed alchemy at a distillery or social alchemy with the Good Work Institute or somewhere else? So... Just to say that there was a lot of bullshit that got me to where I am today. Um, and there, I mean, there's still, I deal with bullshit day in and day out, but it's, there was just, that's really like the foundation of the path that I've taken to get to be this sort of, I guess, agent of change in the work that I do. Um, even before I was at the distillery, um, I was going through this weird phase in my life because I had a child very early. I was still in college. I was 22 years old. Um, and 
when she was born, I was like, what, what am I doing? Like, I was really sort of just flowing through what I thought I was supposed to do and really what was defined by my parents is what I was supposed to do because I really wanted to go to art school and then I wanted to go to culinary school. But even before that, I really thought that I was going to be a professional sprinter and then I blew my knee out. So there was just, uh, and then you know, I started school late because I got mad that I couldn't do all the things that I wanted to do. And then I hopped on a plane and went to Europe and I came back and I was still in this crazy, crazy phase of my life where I was just like, I'm going to do me. Like, I'm not going to do what other people are telling me to do. And I started school at a school that I really didn't want to be at because I had other plans for my life. And then fast forward three years, you know, I had this amazing little girl and I was just like, I need to hit pause. Like I really need to assess my life. I really need to think about what I want to be doing. Is any of this shit the direction that I want to go in? And also what does that mean for her? So I really did like this deep, deep dive into what is my life going to look like in a year? What is my life going to look like in five years? What is my life going to look like in 10 years? And there was a lot of sifting through shit then around like, the people in my life, the work that I was doing. And I ultimately landed on going into like marketing and PR, which really wasn't like my first choice, but it was one of those things where like, I love to talk to people. I love to be in, in, (laughs) (laughs) in social situations. Like I could really make a career out of this. And then I quickly realized because I got, I landed a job off of a senior project that I was doing in college and I started working at this CNN affiliate radio station. And I quickly realized that like there was a lot of craziness happening in the world. And like the path that I thought I was going to go on is not necessarily the path that I should be on because I was exposed to a lot of really really insane situations at that job. And, you know, I came across a lot of amazing people and I was just like, I, I want to be in this. And all of this was happening in the city of Newburgh. And I started like really growing a love for the people and the work that was happening even, you know, 20 years ago in the city of Newburgh. And I was working with this really great guy named Chuck Stewart and you know, he introduced me to a lot of people. He he has this crazy history. Um, he was a musician. He was a lawyer. He was a publisher. He has this insane history. But like he really started, he exposed me to like social justice work because that was the foundation of his work. And I fell in love with it. Like I was feeding off of it. I wanted to absorb as much information around it as I possibly could while still having this paid gig for him and his station and his newspaper. And I did that for a while. And then I had another daughter and I took five years off of work minus my community work, which I was still very heavily involved in because I didn't want to let that go either. So I was doing a lot of freelance work around like graphic design and some consulting around like marketing and stuff like that, just so I had like a little bit of an extra income. Um, because at that point, like my partner and I, like we were, we were so young and like he, he was making good money, but we also had two kids. So I wanted to like 
pad that a little bit. Of course. And I was, because <laughs> two kids. Not you know, cheap. <laughs> kids don't come cheap. <laughs> Definitely not. And, you know, through that community work that I was doing, and a lot of it was around New Paltz, which is which was where we were living for 10 years. And, you know, I was involved in, like, the kids' schools. And then I got roped into this enormously huge project around bringing affordable camp summer camp experience to new paltz and um that was way bigger than i thought it was i thought it was just going to be a cool like side project and, and then it was like months and months and months and months and months <laughs> worth of work <laughs> but <laughs> surprise yeah but it was it's a lot of things like that that you know, like really exposed me to a whole different sector because up until that point, I was working in Orange County and I wasn't really deeply involved in Ulster County, even though I lived in Ulster County. And then at that point is when I had another shift and I was just like, I'm not really, even though this work is great and it's meaningful, like I'm not feeling fulfilled. Like I need to, I need to figure out who I am as Asia, not just a mom, not just, you know, a parent on the PTA, not just, you know, a wife, a homemaker, you know, my graphic designer that I call on every now and then I needed to really establish an identity. And I was really struggling with that. I was really, really struggling with trying to figure out who I was, because at that point, like I was just, I was Ivani and Olivia's mother. And that's how I felt, even though I had all these other things wrapped up into it. Like, and I was, I was, I was 20, 26, it was like my late twenties. And I was really trying to figure out what that meant for me. And there was a job posting. I was, I was on vacation and there was like a job posting around like this farm distillery. And I, I was hearing about this distillery a lot. And, you know, they were a family run business and there was a lot of values in that distillery that like really resonated for me. And I was like, and it was doing like sales and marketing and a lot of brand development. And I was like, dude, totally. This is where I need to be. <laughs> You're like, I'm social AF anyways. <laughs> exactly. I was like, this is totally where I need to be at this point in my life. And I had a couple of friends that were working there already. And my other life, like I am like an avid gardener. I love fermenting things and pickling things. I'm a huge like herbal enthusiast. And I have all of this stuff going on. And I was like, this is like the perfect marriage of like all of the things that I love. And long story short, I ended up getting the job at the distillery and it started out as like an assistant in the sales and marketing department, which, you know, evolved every few months from there. It was like running sales and marketing, doing brand and brand ambassadorship, um, doing a lot of operations work, doing some production work. And it was like really like every phase of the distillery and it exposed me to yet an even broader group of people. And, you know, I really started diving deep into all of those things that I love most in this world. And then in my travels, because I did travel a lot at the distillery, I met some incredible people. And our research and development chief, he was actually talking a whole lot about the Good Work Institute. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm going to apply to this amazing fellowship. And I'm like, what? 
what is this thing that you're talking about? He's like, oh, you would, he's like, you would love it. He's like, you should look them up. So I was like loosely following GWI like early on in its, in its, its phases. And, you know, he got accepted into the fellowship after he left the distillery. And I left shortly after he left um, the distillery and we ended up working together for a little while doing some distillery consulting. And during that time, he was in the fellowship and he's like, Asia, you know, they have a job available at GWI. He's like, I really think you should go for it. I'm like, nah, that's not my thing. And he's like... (laughs) It is your thing. He's like, that is exactly your thing. He's like, this is the perfect job for you. He's like, go for it. And I did. And it was always like this skeptical voice on the back of my head. Like, nah, this is not exactly where I need to be. But yes, it is where I need to be. Because like the people that I work with, like I have never met so many incredible people in one region in my life. And that's not an overstatement and you know you're one of them and it's just like I the people that I'm exposed to the work that I'm exposed to is just I am blown away all the time and when I think that I've heard everything seen everything you know somebody comes in again and blows my goddamn wig back so (laughs) (laughs) I'm like ready to like I'm like my hands are up and I'm like sort of cheering you on silently (laughs) as I'm listening So Asia, let's talk about, so the audience has a clue about what Good Work Institute is. Can you give us the skinny on that? I could give you the skinny. And GWI has gone through many phases. And in our current phase, and this is the phase that we're going to stay in for a very long time, our mission is to foster the just transition. And what the just transition, we didn't coin that term. That is a worldwide movement, a nationwide movement. And we got a lot of our language and frameworks from movement generation. But what the just transition is, is ultimately a framework for a fair shift to an economy that is sustainable and equitable for all. So at the core of what GWI was doing, you know, it's, you know, it's still there. But now it's just like we're solid in it and our values are really rooted in these five pillars of the just transition, um, which is advancing ecological restoration, democratizing communities, wealth in the workplace, driving racial justice and social equity, uh, retaining and restoring um, cultures and traditions, and there's one other, and I always forget this. Uh, oh, relocal, relocalizing most production and consumption. First off, I want to like clap my hands. One for the impactful work that you're doing, and two, that list does not easily roll off the tongue. And the fact that you were <laughs> able to remember all five of those that fast is pretty amazing. Got to be steeped in my work. So, <laughs> and I'm sure you are right now because. Th- GWI as an organization began in a more like traditional nonprofit kind of model, right? And Mm -hmm. so this is no small undertaking that you're going through right now. Absolutely not, because as we are, you know, really focusing our work towards the just transition, we're also in our own internal transition of going from a more traditional nonprofit structure to a worker self-directed nonprofit. And every time I say that to people, they're like, what? 
is that. <laughs> yes. And the only reason that I have maybe a quarter of an ounce of a clue about what you're talking about is I recently had a conversation with Evelyn Wright, who I'm sure mm-hmm. we share in common as a contact. Totally. Um and so she kind of got hit with like the first wave of questions about like what do you mean worker directed organization? Mm-hmm. So she got this tribe a little bit up to speed, but how might that look or be different in terms of the good work lens? So right now we have six team members and we we have two two forms. So we have worker trustees, which they were part of the general circle. So let me back up just a bit. So our structure is one rooted in shared leadership. So we don't have like departments in, you know, like a, a more traditional sense. So we have, we operate in, in circles and some of those circles have stewards. So they're not really like we don't use like, you know, the traditional terms, like we don't have managers and things like that. Like, you know, cause we're all, we're all fairly flat in this organization. So, you know, we have stewards of some circles and then there's other circles where it's a complete shared leadership where not, there isn't one person who oversees like scheduling and, and things like that and making sure that, you know, things are done on time or anything like that, like not the non or the, the traditional manager duties. So we all share leadership in those circles that don't have stewards. Um, the ones that do, it's more to oversee, you know, certain projects and things like that and to bring people in and create sub-circles and, and things like that to make sure that there's certain tasks that get done. But really, um, the worker trustee, um, they have, you know, consent decision making. That's how we really come to agreements on any issues that get brought up to the general circle. So the general circle um, includes all of our worker trustees, which right now is five of us because we have a new team member. And then she is going through a three month, you know, onboarding process. And what, at the end of that three month onboarding process, she's going to be a full on worker trustee. So right now she is a worker. And then once she's fully onboarded, which you know, she's really zooming through this process. But at the end of this three months, she will be a full worker trustee. So when we have things and we don't we don't say vote, but that's essentially what it is when we she she gets to participate in that consent decision making process like she right now she can um have input on the agenda items that get brought up in general circle meetings because what do you mean by consent decision making like is that when you all sit down together as worker trustees and have to make decisions on things is it unanimous consent is it majority rule like, does everyone need to be 100% on the same page or is it sort of and then having to haggle that or is it different? So it's it's yes. And so with our consent decision making process, there isn't like a full yay or nay. Um, when we have meetings and there are proposals on the table, we go through um Rounds. So a person can bring a proposal to the table and we hear the proposal. Then we have a round of clarifying questions. So everybody gets a chance and we go around in circle to ask a question. 
And then if we need to do it again, and we'll go through until everybody has asked, you know, all the clarifying questions so they can fully understand what is being proposed. And then we'll go through a comment reaction round. So we'll all go around and and give our comments to the proposal. And then at the end, if everything is clear and the proposal seems solid, you know, there's nothing else that needs to be amended, we'll go through a consent round. And we will all either give consent. We sort of like moved away from the consent because we don't want to like impose that people automatically have to give consent. And we'll say, you know, only give consent if you can enthusiastically consent to it. And so now we've like sort of shifted that into an um, we call it an objection round because you can object. And if you object, you have to give the reasons why you object but usually like we'll go around and in that that question that question round anything that is raised that you could see giving an objection to a proposal like you'll ask in that and if you know even before sometimes we get to that consent round you know the proposal will realize you know this isn't complete or I should go back and change it and then I'll bring it back to the circle at a later date so up until now we really haven't had you know, anything that has been completely objected, um, we'll, we'll ask our questions. And a lot of this is, you know, an exercise in trust. Like we have, and that's the biggest thing going through this process is, you know, radical trust. And we have, you know, one of our projects in this transition is we have, um, blog posts on our website around this process and, you know, any insights from us as individuals, as well as, you know, some elements of the just transition and the worker self-directed nonprofit transition. And when we talk about it freely, you know, how this is going, you know, the issues, if any, that gets brought up during this process. And a lot of it, a lot of times lands on being able to trust the people that you're working with. And not just for, you know, the, the, the common ones, it's just you with this worker self-directed nonprofit, you have to trust not only that people have your back, but that you have to trust yourself that, you know, you are not an individual and you will not be making decisions as an individual. You're making decisions as a team. And the decisions that you make will not only affect the team that you're working with, but the communities that you're working in. So if you make a decision, will this ultimately cause harm to the organization? Could it potentially cause harm to the people that are in our networks? So you have to like really be able to not just trust the people that you're working with, but trust yourself and not, you know, have this individualistic approach, even though we all are individuals, but you have to really look at it from a broader lens. Whoa. So this is kind of blowing my mind because I feel like (laughs) I've heard about these things, but never at the level of detail that you just so amazingly described. And I feel like it's making my head explode with lots of questions. And I mean, partly just having finished a user experience design boot camp, mm-hmm. you probably have intersected with design thinking in the past in some mm-hmm. of your roles. And I feel like what you're describing almost sounds like what we call a design studio workshop and then also elements of like a critique, right? Like mm-hmm. here's what I'm here's what I'm proposing, here's what I'm putting forth. 
here's what I'm opening myself up to. Here's the, you know, like the asking the clarifying questions, then having the the chance to sort of weigh in and critique things. And then I'm also thinking of this through the eyes of being a volunteer mediator. And I guess like, I don't know, words that are coming to mind that maybe we can sort of talk about, like time boxing, implicit bias, like how, how do you keep the process clean? How do you keep it contained so that it's like not 48 hours later, you're still, you know, negotiating all of these things? So we have really been strict with the time that we spend um, when we have our meetings, because right now the way that our meeting structure works is that we have three different types of meetings. We have a governance meeting, which happens biweekly. We have a check-in meeting, which happens biweekly. And then we have tactical meetings. So our governance meetings are the general circle and we have agenda items, which include proposals. They include um, any items that um, we bring to the circle that we just want input on, they're not fully baked out into a proposal yet. Some of them may never get there. And then we have idea generating items. And then our check-in meetings, which we had one this morning, was and our, let me just add that our governance meetings are always in person and they are three hours. And we really try hard to, to really stick to those three hours and you know there's a lot of adjusting that happens in that time because you know as with with any time a group of people get together you know it's very easy to get off topic but you know that is why we have a facilitator in place and we all rotate that role as a facilitator and one of the main jobs of the facilitator is to a keep us moving through the agenda and b keep us on time so if we seem to be veering off into the weeds on a certain agenda item it's the facilitator's job to bring us back to the road and also to make sure that there's a balance of voices happening because it's also very easy for one person who's very used to you know, asking all the questions to take up all the time allotted to these particular agenda items. And generally speaking, these agenda items are 10, 15 minutes. If something needs, you know, longer time, it's, you know, to the proposer to come to the facilitator and say, this is going to eat up a good chunk of time. You know, can we review the agenda and see, you know, if there's some things that can get put into a holding tank and we can discuss at our next meeting. Because some of these items are, do require some more in-depth conversation. And some of them are a little trickier to to navigate in in a team of six. And we're all going to come with our opinions. We're all going to come with our own personal shit. And we're, some of this stuff is really, you know, really, really sticky. It's, it's very easy to start veering off track. So we haven't really had too many of those. I mean, we've had some really tough conversations, I mean, which is understandable, especially in like a a shared leadership structure. You know, everybody wants to be heard. Everybody has opinions. Everybody, you know, really comes in with a lot. You know, this team is is very dynamic, but um, it's really, and this is another place where like trust comes in, you know, that we really have to, trust ourselves to like really be opening open to like maybe taking a couple steps back so others can can feel heard 
and others can be heard because there's a difference between, you know, being heard and, you know, leaving a meeting and feeling heard. And yes, there's a, <laughs> yes, like I feel like all of my work like comes comes back to that in some way or another and like balancing those two things. And that's and honestly, that's one place where I've struggled a lot in this process is leaving and feel like I've been heard. And that's not to say that I haven't been given the opportunity, but I'm sort of like examining, you know, my own feelings around this structure because I've come from a lot of corporate structures and not so much with like nonprofit structure because my experience with nonprofit has been like strictly on a volunteer basis. But, you know, my work experience has been purely corporate. So it's and I've also been in like high, high managerial positions where I don't necessarily need to listen to everybody in the room. That was not to say that I didn't, but it wasn't necessarily something that I needed to get the work done that I needed to get done. So being in this structure, it's a lot of of me stepping back and really examining my own emotions around this process, but also really coming back around in the cycle and feeling like, if I voice this, is it necessary? If I voice this, what is going to be accomplished? So it's a lot of that like push and pull. So, Mm -hmm. and I think that comes in with like any new structure you decide to take on or any structure at all. But it's like, it's a lot of like, internal examination because you're not doing this on your own like you're not in a management position per se like we're all managers like you know technically speaking and we have this you know co-executive director that we could really say that we are even though that's not the title that we use the title that we use our worker trustee that focuses on x y and z But, you know, and if you really take it through the lens of like a nonprofit structure, we're all essentially co-executive directors. So we all have decision making power. But how does that work when there's five other people that also have that power? So it's really it's it's kind of tricky to navigate that. But also it's 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 a good exercise in, in navigating life in general, because I often find myself like reverting back to those thinkings and the learnings that we we've gone through through this transition and bringing them back into my house so talk about some of those things that have transferred or migrated over me not speaking over people is a big deal because (laughs) (laughs) you have a lot to say i couldn't tell asia (laughs) (laughs) it's a huge deal because i have a very awful habit of like speaking over people because I need to get my ideas out. And I mean, and that also comes with like a level of maturity that I may not have had until my thirties. But, um, it's one of those things that like the circle practice has really helped me like really hone because in that, in one, when we're in circle, one person is speaking at a time. There is no interrupting, like, you get your turn and then we go to the next person. If somebody has something to say, they have to wait their turn, wait till the next round. And it's, it's really hard and it really forces you 
to listen because it's very easy to just talk over somebody to get your ideas out and then check out of the conversation. In this process, you have to listen and you're really absorbing what is going on, which is essential to the work that we're doing and also just essential to interacting with other humans in general, because I feel like that's something that is continuously lost in our society and this insane climate that we're living in right now is just like nobody's listening. Everybody wants to be heard, but nobody is doing the listening. And that is one of the things... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and not only are they not listening, it's not listening for understanding or listening to be empathetic or listening to be curious. It's just like hearing words. It's just like hearing words so that they can then prepare what they're going to say, as opposed to actually any sort of meeting of the minds, never mind heart. <laughs> Exactly. That's exactly it. And it's intentional listening. Like I am listening to you with the intention of understanding what you're saying, understanding what you're feeling, understanding what you're thinking, understanding what you need. And that has been a practice and it isn't just a skill that you're going to gain. It's it's like yoga. It's a continual practice because yes. <laughs> I did it just now. I just spoke over you and I have to like remind myself, like, shut up and listen to what people are saying to you because you are not going to get their full thought if you're not listening. And it's one of those things that like, since I'm mindful of it, I have to continue continuously have to point it out so other people can be mindful of it because we all do it. It's a very bad habit that people have. And it's one of those things that if you really want to interact fully with humans, like you need to practice that. And it's one of those things that we don't give enough attention to. Yeah, these emotional intelligence, I don't know, factors is the right word. It's not something we learn. It's things like you're describing, like that I too have had to bring into my life and go look for because usually I was just fucking up something. Let's be Mm -hmm. real. Right? Like, You know, I think just learning how to frame conversations differently, learning how to actively listen. I mean, practicing curiosity. I mean, I will go to my grave still practicing that every Mm -hmm. single day and trying Mm -hmm. to implement it and trying to be aware of those blind spots and biases that we all carry. It's work. It is work. And it's a lot of this process has really sort of held a mirror up to my face because because I don't really have nonprofit working experience, I have a lot of nonprofit volunteer experience, but I don't have a lot of like paid working experience in nonprofit. Like, I think there is a discomfort in me bringing my skill set to the table in a group of people that has more of that experience and feeling like an inadequacy around that a little bit, but also having to like check myself and being like, nah, like you do have things to offer. (laughs) (laughs) You need to have the confidence to sort of raise that. And it's like, it's, it's that juggling act that I'm constantly doing. And I'm really like, 
during during this process like i'm still like trying to find to find my footing in it but you know really being confident in my abilities to say like maybe this isn't the best path or you know this is great and this is why it's great so it's it's a lot of that and there i mean we have a lot of big personalities we have a lot of amazing people on our team like everybody on our team adds like so much value to this organization but with that comes a lot of ideas a lot of radical ideas a lot of things get thrown on the table and it's like okay what are our goals you know what is our mission what are we trying to accomplish how are we going to get there you know we need to create a strategy around this and a lot you know because there are such you know big ideas and big thoughts and you know big personalities in this it's very easy for somebody like me to sort of like start backing away but in that like I had to stop myself and not back out it's just like I have become like this observer and really sort of like listen and to what's going on and sort of like observe the dynamics of what's happening but I think in that process like because I've, I've become like quieter over the last like two and a half years that I've been working at GWI. And now it's like, I have the opportunity to be like that person that I used to be of having like a very loud voice in the decision. And I have that power now. And it's like, whoa, like I do have this power and it's sort of like jarring to me. It's like, okay, like I was this for a little while and now I'm this. And it's like, how do I balance those things out? So it's really, it's, it's an uncomfortable position for me to be in, but also like a motivating position for me to be in. I feel like I have a thousand questions for you because I feel like what you're describing is an energy that I am constantly trying to balance. Like, I know that even though I am a little lady, I can come into a room with a lot of intensity. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I have been repeatedly told that my entire life. Like, you're so small, but you're like the, you know, like the personality or like size of someone like 18 feet tall. <laughs> um, so I I'll feel like I'm, I'm always... <laughs> I figured you would. (laughs) But I feel like what you're describing is so interesting in that how do you balance that, like, knowing that you have a lot to say and you you have a loud voice and then also trying to be a, a conscious observer and an active listener and, like, trying to keep in check when to speak up and when to to hold back like what's helping you balance that I think it's really you know listening to my instincts which I had gotten myself out of the habit for whatever reason I am very I'm I'm not a religious person but I'm a very spiritual person and I really like for a good part of my life was a very instinctual person and somewhere along the way like I had stopped listening to that and really listening stopped listening to my gut in a lot of situations and over I think I want to say like 
since I was pregnant with Charlie, like I really had started going back to that because, you know, there was a lot of things going on where I was like, you know, with the craziness in, in the political climate, you know, I was highly hormonal because I was pregnant and, you know, really, there was a lot of shifting going on in my professional life, in my personal life. Like there was a lot happening and not like not in my house, but like in my family in general, there was just a lot going on. And then I had really taken a headfirst dive back into racial equity work. And I had been doing that for a very long time, but like really immersing myself fully in this work. And with that work, like a lot of what was driving me to do that work was my instincts, like feeling the need to like participate in ways that maybe I would have never participated in before, but I felt like that was what was necessary in that moment. And there has been a lot of that. And there's, there's been a lot of like reflecting happening, like a lot of internal reflecting happening in this transition to a worker self-directed nonprofit and really trying to visualize like what is needed in that moment. And if it's not needed in this moment, will it be needed in a moment down the line? And if not get rid of it, you know, you can put it in a holding, you can put it in a holding tank or you could throw it out. You could recycle it, whatever you need to do with it. Compost it. Right. Exactly. Go back into the earth. (laughs) Exactly. But, you know, and if it's something that is needed right now in this moment, like having enough courage to bring it up and it's like, how do I reestablish that voice? And it's one of those things that another practice that I have to really get comfortable with doing because in this amazing group of people that I work with, like there's a lot of loud voices. So bringing the Asia, the Asia that operates outside of GWI that has no problem getting in the face of whoever into (laughs) GWI, but, you know, really bringing that voice out in a way that's not only helpful to me, but helpful to the organization and helpful to the people in the community, in our network. And it's one of those things that I constantly, constantly, constantly have to work on, like really feeling courageous enough to like have my voice heard and really feel like what I'm adding to the table is beneficial to everyone. So this is going to be a probably a huge question, but you've been so articulate. I, I have to try it. Hit me. So what are you asking yourself in those moments or like when you're like recognizing like do I jump in or do I jump out right like I picture like double dutch happening and you got to like feel Mm -hmm. it out for a second what are you coming back to to gut check is it questions is it core values is it like what are you what are you running to like make that decision So the first thing is always like, how is this going to land? Like, are they going to hear it? Because sometimes there is like a little bit of a nervousness that plays into it. And I'm not really good with with nerves. I always like my instinct when I do get nervous is to be quiet. 
but also that is in such high contrast to who I am naturally as a person. I am not naturally <laughs> quiet. Like I always have something to say. I was going to say, I, I feel like this doesn't jive with the Asia that I've seen in action. No. And it's, 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 so that's why there's all this discomfort that comes in because I am not a naturally quiet person. Like I voice my opinions regularly. Like I will speak up for whatever, like being involved in any sort of activism at all does quiet doesn't have a space really, especially now. I mean, it's, it's, I shouldn't say it doesn't have a space. It does have a space, but you know, it takes many forms. You could be a quiet activist, but like really not speaking up in times when your voice needs to be heard, that doesn't have a space. So I will always ask myself, like, is this necessary? How is it going to land? Is further explanation needed? And a lot of times it's like, I get nervous about answering those questions because I feel like if my idea isn't fully baked out, I won't bring it out. And it's me constantly struggling with like, it doesn't need to be fully baked. It can be a little soft in the middle and then you can bring it to, (laughs) (laughs) you can bring it to the group and they'll help you finish baking the idea out. But because of the environments that I'm so used to working in and really not needing to bring this back to other people and very much used to operating independently, it's hard for me to really feel the need to voice that I am looking for help with other things, which also is in contrast to the type of work that I do outside of work, but also the work that I do at GWI because we all work collectively, but I'm also very much programmed to operate independently. So it's one of those things where it's like, I'm in this structure now where you are working in a collective. It's not something that I'm used to doing. So it's really like working on that constantly, 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 constantly. Like I'm not one person. I am now in a group of six people and I have the resources and I have the support to do certain things. We all do. We all have resources. We all have support in each other to do the things that we want to do that really around the, the values and the mission of GWI and to be in support of the people that are doing the work within the just transition framework. And it's like, you're not in this alone. And that's been one of those things where it is a little bit of a gut check because I am very much used to operating as an individual. And yeah, it's hard because like I can get tunnel vision a lot of times and say, oh yeah, I've got this. I'm working on it. Don't worry about it. When I'm done, I will bring it to you and I'll show it to you. (laughs) I'm laughing because I know, because in the last three months, I have had to get comfortable with having been an entrepreneur and a solopreneur for 10 years, all of a sudden working in collaborative group settings on ambiguous, uncomfortable problems. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm the type of person who's like, okay, you tasked me with doing this. I'll bring it back when it's, you know, 110% where it needs to be. And then you can see it. And so I'm sort of laughing because it's like, 
I think one of like the toughest things in the last couple of months was one doing work in such an ambiguous space. It's hard to have solid answers, at least early in the design process. Like mm-hmm. they get clearer because it's an iterative process. But when they introduce the idea of having a critique like early on in a couple of the projects, I was like, wait, we are literally going to have to put up our information, unfinished information, unsynthesized data, like (laughs) all of this like totally unbaked, what was feeling to me like totally half-assed work product. And we're going to have to like print it out and put it on the wall and let everyone critique it. I was like, oh, holy shit. I thought I was going to throw up that day. I was like, this is so not like what I've been rewarded for doing or like terrifying how I've been successful in the past. And yeah, it talk about bumps and bruises. It's terrifying having to do that because I am very much used to producing and sharing finished work and having to bring something out that isn't complete, it cripples me. And I can't do it because it's just like, you know, somebody's going to have questions around this. If, if this isn't at its most complete form, somebody's going to ask me questions around this and I may not have the answer and trying to be okay with In front that. of a whole room. <laughs> Exactly. And trying to be okay with that, really, it, it, it fries a wire. And it, it's just like, okay, so <laughs> that's, I'm taking that expression from this conversation. It fries a wire. That's exactly what it feels like. It does. And then I, I have to like really talk myself down and be like, this isn't the end. You're not going to completely short circuit. It's okay to share something that isn't complete. You know, this is the point of, you know, this being an input item or an idea generating item, you know, and somebody's going to have questions. If your proposal's not 100%, that's okay. But that's not how I'm used to working. And I am very much used to working by myself and <laughs> showing <laughs> showing the completed work not the stages that go into the work and that and I mean that that is definitely like it's strengthened relationships in at GWI because like we we all know that we have that support but also like you know in 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 a case of somebody like me that you know I I really have to like let a lot of things down and know that everybody's coming, you know, if somebody says, oh, Asia, did you think about this? It's not a critique. It's them being helpful. And, you know, <laughs> their ideas are really adding to it and not taking something away. So that has been, you know, a big shift in the way that I work because, you know, in the past, if somebody's like, oh, well, what about this? And it's, you know, because I have, you know, I was in like a leadership position, but also being like the only woman the only person of color in a leadership position. So it's like, you know, my own shit that I carry into a room where it's like, you know, they're being critical because I'm this. And that's not the case at GWI. So it's, no, and that's not the case. So it's like, I still carry that, but it's something that like I'm slowly unpacking as I go through this process of really trying to get right with like, they're not being critical. You know, they're in this with you. You're not out on this little dinghy out in the middle of the ocean by yourself. (laughs) 
<laughs> so that is a really great metaphor for my next question. You mentioned knowing that you have the support of all of the other worker trustees around you, but there's knowing about it, and then there's actually calling on it. And I would bet my last dollar that there are a lot of women listening to our conversation who are also find it difficult to ask for help. Do you have yes. any advice for us? Because I'm, I'm also one of them. Let's be real. I hate asking for help worse than uh, anything. 100%. And, and not just at work, um, in, <laughs> in my community work, at home. Like, it's one of those things. And, and again, like, I bring this back. Like, I credit <laughs> baby Charlie with a lot of this, you know, <laughs> because I was way older when I had Charlie and I had my first daughter at 22. I had another daughter at 26 and then I had Charlie at almost 38. So it's, you know, I had the experience and I guess, you know, that, that sort of translates into the wisdom of being very pregnant and really coming to terms with like, you can't do all this by yourself. And it's, it's more of like me, be, me asking for help out of necessity, but also like really sort of checking myself a little bit and sort of like quieting that pride and saying like, one, I can't do all of this by myself. And two, I don't need to do all of this by myself because there are people here. And like our society, I think is has a lot to do and can take on a lot of the blame of that. You know, the whole, like, you know, you can be a very independent person and more so with women, like, you know, you people can are have like, it oh, all. You, yeah, you can have everything and you can be an independent woman, but it's like, why? If you have <laughs> this circle of people who are willing to lend you support, whether it's to get, grab something off of the shelf or really come in and like, bring you food when you're sick or bring you food when you have a baby or watch your kids for a couple of hours so you could get some work done or, you know, you could go out with your partner to have a great meal or go see a movie or to just help you out so you can get some personal time so you can practice some self-care. You know, why do everything by yourself and drive yourself crazy if you have those supports in place and people who are willing to help you. It's different if you don't have those supports in place, but if you have them and you're not using them, that's a whole separate conversation. You know, that's, that's a whole different form of insanity to me. Uh, like if you have them there and you're not using them to me, that's just, that's foolery is, <laughs> and, and that, <laughs> and it's, it's a lot for me to say that because I, have been one of those people. And I still kind of am in, in some ways of like, yeah, I'm going to do this all myself. And, you know, I did it last year when I had a five month old baby and I'm like, yes, I am going to host Thanksgiving dinner. And <laughs> yes, I am going to make all of that from scratch. And no, I don't need you to bring in any meals. Just bring a bottle of wine. And it's like, what? If somebody's asking you, what do you need? Or if they want to come over and help you, yes, you should take advantage of that one because it, you know, you're bonding while you're cooking a meal, you're bonding while you're eating a meal, you know, you're sharing things, you're making memories, you know, and it, now I'm like, if somebody asks me what they're bringing for Thanksgiving, I'm going to say, I'm going to give them a list. Not, I'm like, I'm going to do all of this myself. I'm going to make all of this from scratch. I'm making all of these things. 
straight from scratch. I'm going to go pick all these herbs myself. No, I am totally taking advantage of any, any support that people offer me in any way. And it's, it's something that I can say now that I wouldn't have been able to say a very short time ago. And it's still like, and I, t- I touched on that earlier, talked about it earlier, you know, really being able to lean on other people because I can. Not necessarily because I need to, but also because like just having that, you know, lessens the load and carrying that load by yourself for a very long time or carrying any load, uh, whether it's light, whether it's heavy, it gets heavier the more you walk with it. So if you can unload some of that and people are willing to carry that for you a little bit, take full advantage. And one of those things that I continuously have to work on. So that's the advice that I can give to others is like, if you have people in your circles that are willing to help you out, totally, totally, totally let them in because doing it by yourself, it's exhausting. It's not healthy. It makes you bitter. It makes you angry, you know, because then you, it's, you build up resentment and you're like, Oh, I got to do all of this by myself. Cause you're no. so put upon, right? It's like, exactly. it just builds. I will add to this too, mm-hmm. because I have had to do a lot of my own internal homework around why do I hate asking for help? so damn bad and I think you know this about me like I start researching and reading and digging and asking more Mm -hmm. questions and digging (laughs) some more and one of the things that I kept stumbling across when I was looking at different articles or pulling out different books or, or reading biographies of people who are much better at it than me I found that there's a selfishness about it sometimes, right? Like I Mm -hmm. think for me anyways, I can't speak to your experience, but I can speak to mine. There's just a deep wanting to contribute, right? Like Mm -hmm. I want to live and work where I, where I live. Like this is important to me. I want to contribute in a way around me. These things are important. And what I realized is by not asking for help, especially when I've been at risk for burning out, and I've burnt myself out a couple of times over these last 40 plus years, Mm -hmm. is that you are denying someone else's contribution. Like when you're like, no, I got this, don't need your help. You are depriving them of an opportunity to connect with you, to be a part of something and to contribute their skills, talents, gifts, wisdom in some way, shape or form. And that was something that has really like you know, kind of snapped my neck a little, like gave me a little like mental whiplash in terms of like, wait a minute, this isn't just about me. Like what kind of narcissistic worldview have I been living in? (laughs) I have been literally like people who want to contribute or be a part of something or connect with me in some way. I've been like shutting the door on their face constantly. And so that's really something I'm still working to fully apply and that'll be a practice for a good long time I'm sure but yeah I don't know I felt like I needed to say it but back to you no and it, <laughs> I, I, and, and that's exactly it because I can think back so many times where like people have offered help in various areas of my life and and different forms of help and I'm always like nah I got it and I know a lot of that comes from 
you know, different scenarios that I've been in in my life and like really feeling like doing something on my own will benefit me in a way that like, and and fulfills me in a way that like at at that time that I needed, but I got so used to operating independently and not asking for help. And I felt like if I took the help that it was invalidating my work because then somebody else can sign their name to it. And that's not it. And I, and that's one, a a huge lesson that I've learned from GWI. It's like, it's okay to have co-signers on the work that you do. It doesn't have to be all of your work. You're all contributors and, you know, having contributors to the work that you do, it only enriches your work. It enriches everybody else's work, which ultimately benefits the people who are on the receiving end of your work. So it's okay. And for me to say that is huge because anybody who knows me in any form knows that I am a very much of an independent person, but you know, in my old age and my almost 40 spins around the universe, like (laughs) I have, it's taken me a really long time to like be anywhere close to okay. Am I 100% there? Hell no, but (laughs) I'm past the halfway. I'm above 500. So (laughs) that's all right. We got like another 50 years or more to go, right? Like halfway is a a good place to be. (laughs) I'm at a glacial pace with that, but I'm going forward. So ever forward, ever forward with that. And it's, and I have to really attribute that to GWI and, you know, the fellowships and the teachings and all that, because, and, you know, just the people like the relationships that have stemmed from people that I've met via GWI. And it's, it's, it's really something that even when I say it out loud, I'm like, really, really? But now it's like for me to say like, yeah, like I need help with this. Like, I'm not going to do that with everything. There are certain things where I'm just like, <laughs> nope, this is still mine. I'm doing it. You can't touch it. But <laughs> I'm getting better. <laughs> we'll see where we, we'll check in with you when you're like, say, 60. We'll see where yep. that's at. <laughs> I'll give you like every decade. I'll give I'll give a report. <laughs> but I mean, I think as I'm listening to your story and like, I, I, I feel like we we probably share some of that like kindred energy of being a total battle axe in the workplace. And I know for me, it's taken more than a decade to really be like, it's not a competition. Not mm-hmm. everything is a competition. But I feel like, I don't know, my formative working years, and it sounds like maybe yours as well. I'm making a big fat assumption that you can totally punt right back at me. (laughs) But like the formative training, especially in a, a corporate dynamic, I mean, one of my first jobs was turning around hostile, like bankrupt companies. And so like that environment was just like survival of the fittest and kind of like you touched on you know, being the only woman or one of very few women in that situation, I mean, it just puts an armor on you in a way because it's mm-hmm. it's sort of not only just survive, but you have to really compete like you're a freaking gladiator some days. 
That's it. Exactly. And it's it's hard for me to try and take those pieces off because it creates a vulnerability that I am not comfortable with because I am, you know, very much used to being that person. And it's like, oh, she's, she's such a powerhouse. And it's like, <laughs> No, uh, no, like there is some softness in there. And it's like, but do I want you to see that? And what does that mean if you see it? Are you going to take advantage of it? And it's one of those things that like, as I have gone through life, it's like, you know, if I take this piece of my armor off, like, could you get in? And then it's like, once you're in, what do you do with that? So it is like, it's more comfortable in a way to like contain yourself underneath that armor, but also your that armor is keeping a lot of necessary interaction and a lot of necessary collaboration out. And it's just like, you're limiting yourself. If you keep all of it out, you need to let a lot of it in because you are just going to get stymied in a lot of ways. If you're not interacting with people because as much as I like to think that I have all of the ideas, I sure should don't. <laughs> the hallmarks of a very smart woman right there. Like, knowing that we don't know it all. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, I know that I don't have them. Do I like to admit it? No, I like to think that I have all of them, but I know that I don't have them. And like keeping that connectedness out and really shying away from people who want to help, like it's, it's really limiting to my potential. So it's like, once I, I get right with that, and you know, the same can be said for others. It's like, once you get right with that, you know, then it's like, you can, you're limitless because now you're just adding another link to your chain and you know you're you're really moving forward in this process and for me like that's very encouraging it's very motivating but also really freaking scary <laughs> every single day <laughs> every single day in some small way <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm laughing cuz i know uh, mm -hmm. yeah it's it it's really hard to put yourself out there in any way shape or form whether it's work whether it's as a volunteer whether it like i can only imagine the mom circuit like even oh. more so there right like i'm not in that world but from the outside looking in it looks like a tough arena to be in it's but highly it, competitive yeah i mean what's not these days right mm -hmm. like and so it's, I just want to thank you so much for just really opening up and talking about this because I, I feel like these conversations are so important to have. That's why I make this. It's not because I make bajillion dollars. In fact, this podcast is sort of like the antique car of podcasts. <laughs> um, it just keeps costing money. <laughs> But it's so yeah. important. And I guess I want to ask you one more question before mm -hmm. I let you skedaddle. What do you most want Levital Core Salon listeners to know or take away from our conversation or just about you in general? I think the biggest thing is to just like, and I know that this is such a cliche, but like, just be really, really, really real with yourself. Be honest with yourself because, you know, and when I have these moments of reflection about how I have navigated the world up until this point, how 
the things that I have taught my kids, um, how my husband and I interact with each other. And him and I have been together, I can't even believe this, for 20 years. So since I was almost 19, which is insane to me, but it's like, you know, the ups and downs that we have had. And it's like the, the moments in time and, you know, the different jobs that I've had and, you know, how things have shaken out over the years, the moments in time that I've had and like really, really, really took a deep dive into why and how things went good, bad in between. It's like really being real with the situations and not just being real with them acknowledging them, accepting them, moving on from them, and then learning from them. Because every great situation, every fucked up situation that I've been in was a learning experience. Like I can sit here and be like, oh, this is why I do what I do. And, you know, this is why I reacted in a certain way. It's like, okay, that's valid. But what did you learn from it? And if I'm not learning from those situations, then I'm not growing. And then it's like, well, what's the point? I might as well sit in my bed for the rest of my life because (laughs) I'm not adding anything to the world. So it's just like, you know, really be real with your, yourself, the people in your lives, like really be real with what you're taking from your place, what you're adding to your place the areas of your work that, you know, need some additional resources. Giving to your place is a huge one for me because I think about this a lot, um, especially in the work that I do with GWI is like, well, what is my place? And I keep coming back to, well, I don't just have a place. What is my home? I don't just have one home because there are certain areas of this place that I give a lot to. There are certain areas of this place that I take a lot from. And there are certain areas in this place where, you know, I break even. But, you know, acknowledging that this place and the things that I add, the things that I take from, you know, really being real about those things and really settling into this is my place this is what i have to offer this is what i need to work on you know this these are areas of my life that i don't even want to touch on because of x y and z but they all contributed to the person that i am now and that is like a realness that i need to let shine within me but also like pass on to my kids, because I think it's very easy for people to create this facade, especially this day and age where nobody knows who their neighbor is because we're all being fake AF. And it's just like, just be real, just be real with yourself internally, be real with what you project out into the world. And at some point that comes back to you in whatever shapes or forms, it'll come back to you. Oh, Asia. I think my heart just exploded open a little bit more with all of that. I just want to say, I'm going to be really, really, really real about how grateful I am that you came to share and share this much of yourself 
with my tribe and I am so grateful that you have refused to sit in your bed for the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Like, I'm really, this has been amazing. Like, I really enjoyed this experience. I was so nervous before I got, I was, and I'm just like, I'm so grateful that you made this, like, this was such a joy and you are such a joy and you are such a treasure to us. And I am so happy that I had a chance to share this with you and your audience. Oh, thank you. of a total badass is Asia. If you want to learn more about the work that she is doing, you can go directly to goodworkinstitute.org or I've made a whole list of all the links of all the proper nouns that we have talked about in this episode all in one place over at levitalcoursalon.com. So that's L-E-Vital-C-O-R-P-S salon.com. And please don't forget those couple quick requests I made at the top of this episode. Please follow Vital Core on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, your favorite, your choice. And also, please share this episode with someone that you think will really dig it. I want to give a big merci beaucoup to producer Craig Snyder, my assistant Darlene Victoria, Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone, and the High Dials for the theme song. And thank you to all of you for being here and coming back and listening and sharing It means the world to me and my team. Lastly, don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let bullshit or burnout stop you.